and welcome. We have actually synchronized getting the pulpit up here and praying, so thank you, Brother Bill, for doing that. I know that uh, you were all wondering how I was going to be able to do that, and now that we've figured that out, it's nice to start off with a little bit of moment of quiet rather than me rolling my pulpit in from the side. So every week, a little bit better. This week, Jeff brought donuts. And another person blesses us. I noticed Jeff got the yellow tablecloths, the yellow cups, the orange cups. So now we're having like a little battle royale out there on the donut thing to see who can... I say just bring a box, no napkins, no paper towels. If I did it, just a box, a thing of coffee, maybe chug from the box. I mean, it would be, it would be a lot more raw if I did it. I, I'm just saying. I also have a Buckeye in my pocket. So if you're wondering what this thing is we have some people visiting from Ohio they gave me a buckeye I thought maybe I would throw it but then I found out it's poisonous so I will not be throwing the buckeye and the buckeye will remain close to my heart (laughs) church it's been a rough week this week there's been lots of visitations for me in the hospital lots of visitations with some family members lots of stuff behind the scene and so I just give you a brief update Tony Mangrello has been uh, struggling once again for those of you who know if Tony could be here he would already be here but uh, Tony's struggling once again and just kind of keeping him in prayer. Uh, he was in ICU, uh, room 252 at uh, Orange Coast Memorial. And when I was done visiting with him after being garbed up, um, finding out there was some even greater stuff in the air in the room because of his infection, which for me is always challenging as a pastor who has compromised immune system, speaking with someone this morning. Um, what kind of confidence do you have to have in God to go into an ICU room garbed up You have to have a lot, right? Because you have to know that God is the one protecting us and that you getting a chance to stand by someone's bed who's currently um, medicated and sleeping is still a privilege to evoke the name of God over them. So it sounds like they're going to speed up his procedure today. So keep Tony in prayer. Above him at 350 is his son-in-law, Alex, who also got sick in the house. It's been a very interesting time in the house, tearing the walls apart and that part of reconstruction So taking some simple antibiotics, then his entire body broke out into a a rash. So 250, 350, Orange Coast, keep the old Mangrello clan in your prayers. Along with some of the other stuff, like I said, uh, just keep the church in prayer. It's been a fabulous kind of first few weeks here. I'm really grateful to see what God's doing. Some beautiful relationships kind of restored and some hope kind of being set in motion along with that. Uh, The men survived the camp experience with no power and no water and came back smiling. So it sounds like God used this time to kind of bond them mightily. And perhaps next week, I understand there might be something special for you guys. So I won't give that away. But guys, if you missed out on that and you want to know, definitely come to the men's breakfast on the 22nd. I imagine the men's breakfast is going to be full of testimonies about what God has done in uh, in the midst of not necessarily having all the electrical things and everything else. Along with that, you guys know how pumped I am about baptism and communion and salvation. Um, last week, which uh, only two weeks kind of into my journey, we have our first commitment to baptism. That baptism hopefully will take place on the Thanksgiving service coming up in November. So for those of you that haven't filled out your connection card or your praise report or something like that, the back of the chairs, we hopefully reloaded everything this morning. I would love to get more prayer requests, more praises, more everything for that service because there may be additional uh, baptisms and additional things that we can actually have. So Give God time to work on that in your heart, but if, you, if you've considered baptism, if, you, if you're not really sure what baptism is, hey, just call me this week, come in, talk on the phone, whatever it is, um, let me walk you through what it is and what it isn't, 
And uh, the best way to think about baptism is a lot like a wedding ring. It's really important to the person you're wearing it for, right? It's symbolic, but it's super important, right? So if you have any questions about that, let me know. Fill out your connection card. I'd love to walk through that with you. And then, like I said, we'll get to all that on the 20th. Along with that, there's been some people that God has been restoring relationships with. And so I just want to continue to pray for that. It's been two and a half, three years since uh, the, the super infection. I don't even feel like saying its name anymore. So people have been struggling out there. Um, I'm going through the list in the church of all the people in the list and kind of calling people and checking in. And we actually have a full online community. Besides the community that's here in person, there's probably another 65 to 120 people that are now our online community. So every week that you're not here, just be praying because that message continues to go out. It continues to speak to people. And then we see that there's, there's a podcast community. There's an online community. There's now Apple Music community. I mean, it's really interesting how God is taking the simple message and the great infection and now turning it into an opportunity for the word of God to continue to go out there. So I pray that if you are watching this morning that you would just consider Hebrews and not forsake the gathering because we're much better together than we'll ever be apart. And it's okay to be uh, in process and be in process with your body, right, church? I mean, there's no better place to be. I'm going to continue to say that until we... We're going to sing that again, right? There's no place that... Well, we'll get the band to get that song. I keep saying it every week, but we're not singing it. All right, so let me open up with prayer and uh, just thank the Lord for the opportunity this morning. Father God, once again, the consideration that everything is either a blessing or a burden uh, just depends on our perspective. And so as I think about the week and think about all the different things that you've already done and, and that you're doing here in the church, Father, I'm just so grateful. I mean, for the, for the commitment to, to be baptized, for someone to just say, you know, I want to stand in front of my church family and confess and provoke the name of Jesus Christ to the world and say, you know, the person that I am, the person that I was, everything that's good and hopeful in me is all because of Jesus Christ and the work that he's done for me on the cross. Father, may the church continue to grow through adversity. May we continue to just process the whole Romans 8, that all things are working together. Even when we don't see it, Father, even when we don't feel it, it has no bearing on the fact that you're working. So, Father, on behalf of like Linda Parker this morning, who's processing her situation with Terry, Father, um, Bev processing her situation with Tony, and a myriad and a multitude of people that have just come this morning knowing that they're still kind of broken and just not feeling 100% together, Father, would you continue to bless your children? Would you continue to encourage the body of Christ that there really is no place that they should rather be than here in your arms, Father, here in your house, your church, your bride that you've prepared for us, and you said that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Father, may everything we can continue to say and do in this building bring honor and glory to and through your son, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. So we're back in the book of James. Um, if you're looking where we're going to be today, we're going to be in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And I can't help but think about this first church, right? This is the first church getting the first letter from James. And maybe it wasn't traditional, but maybe it was a five-page letter. And each page so far has come with kind of a stern warning. And each page has had some kind of incredible kind of declaration and as I look back to page one, he, he addressed the individual in there, and he said, I know that favoritism doesn't seem like a big deal to you, and, and definitely in the society that you're in, it's not a big deal, but when you, when you make peace with sin, if you make peace with favoritism and say it's not that big of a deal because that's just the way that we are, then you're guilty of the entirety of the law. 
And so from chapter one, page one, he transitioned to page two, which is probably the key thought of his whole five-page letter. And he said, here's what I'm saying is if, if you say you have faith and you don't, and I don't see any works, then we're going to have a problem because faith without works is dead. Matter of fact, he went on to say that the words that you speak are empty words. And chapter two kind of ends with that warning. And as he transitions to chapter three today, you think, okay, he's probably done with his warnings going to be a little bit more encouraging. Nope. Chapter three, he addresses me and every other pastor and every other instructor who's ever spoke. He's going to speak directly to us today and tell us he's going to, there's a warning now for teachers and not just a warning, but a warning that if you stand in front of people and invoke the name of God, it's going to be a stricter judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but judgment in general for me sounds pretty ominous. So stricter judgment uh, doesn't sound like the letter's going to back down at any time. So if you're wondering about chapter 4 and chapter 5, you're going to have to be here to see if he continues on this path. But it seems like James is just one of those guys who just like, look, I spent my whole life denying Jesus, right? I, Jesus was my brother. I spent my whole life in disbelief. So what's left of my life, I will spend in belief, but everything's going to be cut and dry. For people who like cut and dry, people like myself, it's just 90 degrees. When the Bible says it, or if God says it, or if Jesus has said it, and I know it to be true, it's just going to be that way. And I can't help but think that I'm really grateful because I'm someone that likes good medicine. I don't necessarily like flavorful medicine. I like good medicine. And I couldn't help but think of a quick little story for you. you guys remember Luden's cherry cough drops when we were kids? Remember how your mom used to give you those for a cold and you would take them and cough all the way through the night? I, cherry Ludens were so good, I remember as a kid going to the store and buying Cherry Ludens, okay? I don't ever remember stopping coughing, but I remember buying them. So today I can tell you this, I don't take Cherry Ludens, I only take Howl's, Howl's menthol, Mentholatum Honey is the worst tasting thing on the planet Earth. There is no bitter, worse cough medicine in the world, but you know what it does? It stops the cough. So because of that, before I even got a chance to process this week, I couldn't help but think about it. James says, medicine isn't good because it tastes good. Medicine's good because it works, right? And so going into this chapter three, I couldn't help but think about it. Sometimes what we need to hear, it's not necessarily what we want to hear, but what we need to hear is God's word. And when we hear God's word and it works, then you too can be considered of that same fact. So here we go. <sighs> Breathe it in. Chapter three, I'm just going to do three verses at a time and then we'll break them apart. They're packed once again with uh, lots of information, so maybe a sip of water. Okay. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as much we will incur a stricter judgment. We will incur. So James is including himself as an instructor or a teacher or a pastor or a preacher. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, his word, right, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct the entire body as well. So the word teacher there in Greek is the word instructor. And basically what James is saying is this is a clear warning to anyone who thinks that they should be a teacher or instructor. And what he's saying is you want to be a teacher and instructor when you're called by God to be a teacher and instructor. Why? Because the words that you're going to speak in front of the body of Christ, the words that you're going to speak to somebody else are the words of God himself. They're the words of life and death. And this is good because to speak on God's behalf is an honorable thing, but to speak on God's behalf also comes with a stricter judgment. 
Now, people in that time, it seems like, are very interested in being teachers. And it seems like today, when you look on the TV and the world around us, there's a lot of people that are interested in being teachers. But what James is saying is not everyone has been called to be teachers. And the warning is, are we okay? Something, okay, good, all right. And the warning from James here is, if they haven't been called to be a teacher, then the flock who's listening to someone who's uncalled, someone who is a danger to them as well. So both the words that he's speaking are going to be a danger and a stricter judgment for him, but even the flock that gets to hear that could be uh, under a stricter judgment. Now, I put in my notes here that some have been called and their lives already show difference, right? You got to look at James's letter in sequence. So if you have someone who's been called by God to speak, and their lives are not necessarily showing what they're talking about, that would be your first warning to James. We as the congregation, you as the congregation, have every right to observe and kind of look, not to be sand ballad and to buy and to be nitpicking about it, but if the Word of God says it, right? If the Word of God says it and you don't see it, you have the opportunity to look and be asking about that. And the people that want to be called and say, well, uh, I'm an apostle, for instance, that's kind of a new age term that people are using. I'm an apostle. Well, we already know the Bible says there are no new apostles, right? You can't be an eyewitness to Christ because that time has come and gone. So be cautious of even titles that instructors or teachers would use. Everything that God's giving you in his word, everything that James is giving them in their letter is to protect them, right? He wants the pastor to be humble. He wants the instructor to be humble living in the way that they're talking and what they're doing matches up. And if it's not, he's saying it's going to be a problem for you. Um, too much is given, right? We've heard this phrase, too much is given. What? Much is, much is required. Required, right? So if I'm going to stand in front of you and speak God's word, I have to do that in consideration of what it's requiring. And one of the things that primary God's word is requiring is before a pastor or an instructor can teach you the very passage that we read, we have to read it to ourselves, we have to self-examine ourselves and say, okay, this week's passage is actually written to us. So this is even harder, right? Of course, this week comes with one of those things and someone said this morning, Pastor Jeff, you look tired. Well, a week's worth of examination and a week's worth of preaching and teaching and a week's worth of hospital visitations, it'll, it'll wear you out, right? And you have to be called to do this because you need that strength of God's energy to even be able to do this. But along with this, I have to remember something. I have to remember to bridle my tongue that if I can't keep the truth of the truth of God in my life going and, and boasting or gossip or something starts to come out of my mouth, then I'm going to cannibalize the very message that I'm trying to give you. So John's telling, James is telling them, examine the teacher's word, examine their life, and if it matches up, then you have a good situation, be supportive. Hold that individual up in prayer. I think I just told the men up at uh, men's retreat, I, if you're going to pray for me, pray, pray for salvation. Pray that God's word would go out mightily, Right? If you're going to pray for me and ask for God to heal me or something like that, that's a consideration we can make. But like Paul prayed three times for his thorn to be removed, that sometimes we got to make peace with that because we, we have to believe that God's going to use that for his glory, and he has. So I'm, I'm getting a chance to share with you kind of what I'm explaining and what I'm learning. And the whole, whole point of this thing is about proofs. What God's saying is you're going to stand, it's without Christ, you're going to stand before the bema seat one day of God with judgment. And for a, someone who gets to be an instructor, a pastor, a teacher, he's saying that judgment for you is going to be stricter. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about the bema seat of Christ, all I can think about is the fact that right now, as a follower of Christ, I'm, I'm, Jesus is going to be my advocate. So if you're a big fan of attorneys or attorney terms, what it means is Jesus stands in front of us, and then we get to be seen in front of that bema seat through Christ right? Because that's really helpful to me when I think about that, because then I get to fall back on like Romans 8. 
there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Nobody wants to be a pastor unless you've been called to be a pastor. And even when you've been called to be a pastor to speak God's word, you still have to be considerate that you fight your own word. You fight your own truths that are trying to come out. But when we do that, God's saying the only way that you can do that is to be called, to be held accountable. And I'm so grateful this church has elders and other people that can help pastors kind of hold our tongues and be accountable. When you examine yourself and you examine your life, just make sure one thing. If you stumble, and when you stumble, that you get back up quickly. Don't let the, the, the difficulties of life knock you down in such a way that your walk begins to slide because of an error, because you stumble. Keep moving on. And so when he talks about stumbling there in the second verse, about um, he's not talking about falling away from your life. He's talking about the everyday parts. You will stumble in many different ways. But it's not a falling away from faith. It's just a simple falling in life. It's the ongoing struggle between your sin and your flesh. And if most of you don't know what I'm talking about, then you did not watch the Dodger game last night. Because I struggled with my flesh last night, right? I'm a simple person. I don't have tremendous likes in the world, fishing and the Dodgers. And when you see your team play poorly and your wife has to change the channel to correct you of your behavior, <laughs> then, then even as an instructor of God, I find myself saying, is this going to affect my walk? Could, I mean, could something as simple, can my neighbors hear me hollering at the TV? I, I'm, I'm quite an avid fan. Um, Probably not. He said, if you could bridle your tongue, your entire body, then you'd be perfect. So, you know, not perfect, right? So don't follow me because I'm following, I'm following Christ. I'm following Christ because I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect. So that's what makes us a good match for each other. We follow Christ because what we need is the bridling of our tongue. We need the power that comes from the Spirit of God to bridle our tongue so that we might have greater control. Now, he gives us a couple of different examples here, and so let me uh, talk about this, this. The bit in the horse's mouth so that they will obey, and it directs their entire body. Now, we're not really agrarian society or a horse society, but today, I know there's a couple of horse people in here. I know I got one horse person up there, horsey person. My wife is a horsey person, and if Cindy's here. Cindy's here, we're pointing. Horsey people? Okay. Horsey people know something that you don't know. Um, the bit, the bridle, it's not just a little piece of shiny hardware that's attractive and, and helps make the, the horse kind of look good. Uh, matter of fact, Marcus, it's time. It's time for the story of all stories. Church, there was a time in my life where I thought I was a horseman. Yep, that would be me right there on the left. That is my best friend who is no longer with us, and he's waiting for me in heaven. But we decided to go on the ultimate pack trip, a Sierra pack trip from Mammoth Lakes, nine days on horses, so a full day on horse, and then seven days fishing and exploring, and then a full day back down the hill. Um, I had been riding for a couple of years and living the lifestyle and felt pretty good. I did not understand the power of a bridle. And I'm telling you this story for a simple reason. On the way back from that trip, a horse has a very interesting characteristic. When the horse can smell home, something happens. <laughs> Mountain horses that can smell home from about a quarter of a mile away, something happens. They didn't give me that. John, they didn't give me that. They did not tell me that. The experienced horseman that I was quickly went away, and there's a very small creek that initiates about a 480-yard direct path, should be direct, to the stables. And when that horse breathed in that air and saw and heard the whinny of the horses waiting for him, that, that, that's a big horse. That horse is about 17 hands, so it is a very large, thick horse. He snapped his head like that, launched over the creek, ripped the reins, because we were doing one mile an hour, dude. 
We went from one mile an hour. I don't know how fast a horse goes. We'll have to get a horse doctor. 30, 40, 50, 80, 90? I don't know. But if they had nitrous, it was something. And he ripped the rain out of my hands. Boom. There goes the rain over his head like he had done it before. It flew over his head and then took off with a jump. I grabbed the horn, which is not the most professional means of trying to ride a horse. I'm, legs are flying. I'm already out of the... I grabbed the mane. I'm literally holding the mane and the horn, screaming like a small child, like all good cowboys should do, right? I came into that barn doing 120 miles an hour. The horse stopped, flung me straight off, and I did a roll and a stood up like that, and my heart was racing, and, I, and the guy told me, oh, he didn't tell you about this horse? No. <laughs> He did not tell you. Yeah, he has a problem when he gets close to home. He flicked the bridle on. He, he, oh, yeah, he flicked exact that same minute. That would have been very useful information. So I can tell you guys, the power of the bridle is something that you will only know once you've ridden a horse and lost the bridle in its mouth. A horse is a very, very powerful being. And what James is saying, you know what's more powerful than a horse? You and me. And just like that horse was just doing what was natural to it, Man, I couldn't help when I started reading the rest of this thing in light of that story. You know what's natural to me and you? Is when God tries to bridle our mouth, when the Spirit of God says, Hey, Jeff, you're, you're going down a road that's more about you and less about me. What do we do? Right? We buck our head. We try to get that power back. And then we, too, become potentially lethal. So this is what I summarize from that, and I think this will help you. To maintain... To, when you are in control of something, it requires minimum pressure, right? Minimum pressure. When you lose control, even with maximum pressure, there still is no control. Now, let's apply that to God's word. When you're in control, it requires minimum words, right? When I stand down and I say, you know what, God, you speak. You know what, Spirit of God, you speak to your people, I sometimes, and I, I know you guys have been enjoying the kind of sequence of all the guys speaking, but when we stand down to the Spirit and say, this is where you speak, you tell them what they need to hear. In control, minimum words. And think about it. Some of the people that you get a chance to hear today, even myself, I'm prone to get too excited. Those of you who know me, I'm a little prone to get excited. And this put me in check again when I had to study that this week and say, you know, but when you get excited you lose control of that bridle. And sometimes the very words you begin to speak begin to pull you from the path that God is trying to direct you. And when you end up over here and everyone's confused, it's because you didn't bridle your tongue. Two ears, one mouth. <sighs> Chaplaincy, right? You guys gave me the privilege of being a chaplain this week. Even as being a chaplain, I realized sometimes the best things that I can say to an officer who's really struggling is, I hear you. Not let me solve your problem, start with this, get a pen, here's some paper. Just, I hear you. And I can't pray with them, right? I can't even pray with them unless they evoke the name of Jesus or ask me to pray with them. And I'm always grateful when they do. But sometimes it's as simply as good as, I hear you. Nothing more. Let the word of God speak that truth to you this morning. We forget that the words that we speak, church, are the words of life and death, right? I mean, this is coming up in James, by the way, a little preview. You speak the words, and you either build up or you tear down. Every time you speak, you either speak life or you speak death. 
And because of that, sometimes we should consider not talking. Seriously, just hold. Remember we talked about what is it that draws people to faith? Christians who live this life that's so attractive, the way that they live, not aesthetically. This is zero to do with aesthetics. God looks at the inside. Just live a life like Merv, like any of our back row patriarchs back there. Anyone who's living a life, Tony, okay? People who live a life that's so attractive, it draws people in. Like, what is this source of strength that's in your life? And then the same thing, what is it that deters people from faith? People who talk about this life and put this life in other people's face. Um, Believe it or not, this week when I was on my ride, we were at a grocery store dealing with a petitioner who was not supposed to be there. And so it's a kind of heated moment as the petitioner's arguing with the police officers and mandating that they get their sergeant, which for them to call their sergeant in is a kind of a to-do because it takes a sergeant out from the office and watch command and all the other things. And so this whole process is going on. And two officers are there, and I'm standing behind them praying. So, you know, they, my shirt says Chaplain Lee on it. So a lot of people think it says Captain. So people are trying to come and talk to me because they want to know, Captain, what's going on? And I'm you know, right now the officers are dealing with something, and I'm praying for them, you know, if, if you don't mind. And the next thing you know, this lady rolls her cart right up to this officer and says, Did you know Jesus loves you, and he died for you, and you're responsible for the blood of Christ? And the officer looks at me and goes, No, but he does. So if you want to, whatever you got working, lady, I'm trying to deal with this. And I'm like, oh, no, time out. No, not me. Pumpkins are on aisle four, lady. You take that, take that stuff to aisle four. You know, how, church, how are we helping? Like, that officer knows me, right? These officers, 137 of them, I know 90 of them well. They know what faith is supposed to look like now. They're starting to get a feel and taste for it. How does that help them this is one of the detours, huh, John? I'm detouring. But church, think about it. Did, did that help him at all? If you want to help an officer, walk up to them and say, I appreciate what you do. I know it's a thankless job. I'm praying for you. And just move on. That will mean more to them and say more to them than your little spiel about you're responsible for the blood of Christ. Look, we're responsible for the blood of Christ. We know. Those of us who've made a profession of faith, the blood of Christ is on us. We're responsible for that. They're going to be held accountable, but they don't know yet. So we need to figure out how we can share and show that to them, right? Amen? All right, let's keep moving. I'm, that's one of my detours right there. I got... Whew. I'm serious. Like, can you imagine that? Just your cart like 90 miles an hour? Like, did you know you were... How is that? Oh, gosh. Okay. Doesn't help. Yeah, when he did leave, we did talk about Jesus. That is true. Sidebar on that, we did talk about it, but it wasn't in a good way. <laughs> it was more like, can you believe there's people out there that think that's useful? He's like, can, is there people like that at your church? I'm like, I hope not. <laughs> and that lady would have gone to my church, would have been like, hey, you, sidebar over here right now with that whole running people over with a cart for Jesus. That's just... All right, back to the passage. Good sidebar. Let's keep moving. Verses 4 and 5. Uh, visual learners, you're going to like this. James is helping you kind of learn. Look at a ship. Although they are so great, they are driven by strong winds and directed by a very small rudder, whether the inclination of the pilot desires, wherever that inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest fire is set aflame by such a small fire. Now, for those of you who are not ship people, 
uh, have never had the opportunity to be around a ship, regardless of the actual size of any boat, even like a small little like sabot in the bay, regardless of the actual size of a boat, the rudder in comparison is always so small, so pretty much microscopic, and you don't think about how important it is, but if you are curious, maybe you would look up some of the greatest war stuff that I love to research is the greatest battleship that the Japanese army ever had. Do you know how it was ultimately defeated? An accidental torpedo strike on the rudder forced it to make giant circles, thus giving the armies time to bomb it. It was, too, it was so big and so massive, I can't remember the name, it slipped my things, but if you got war historians, look it up, okay? It forced it to, to, to circle, and in forcing it to circle, it gave them time to figure out how to process, how to stop it. Otherwise, it was, it was insurmountable. I probably should have checked with Rick on the name of this, but it's, it's such a small thing and such an incidental strike. No, it wasn't incidental. The rudder is the ship. Without the rudder's use, you basically have a big floating object, okay? The only way you're going to guide and steer and direct it is the rudder. So the rudder becomes very important. And he says, so too is the tongue. How powerful is the tongue? Okay, we're kind of forest fires, once again, coastal. We're not really good with forest fires. We lived in Big Bear. Jen and I lived in Big Bear for a period of time. And we celebrated our 37th anniversary this week, of which I missed on Wednesday. Sorry about that. I was working. Uh, we lived in Big Bear, and I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to go up to Big Bear, but Big Bear is fabulous. You got 38, you got Backway in seven, you know, through through the mountainside, the backside through Apple Valley. So there's plus or minus three ways in. During a forest fire, those ways in and ways out, guess what happens to them? Yeah, they get very crowded quickly because people panic because when there's nowhere to go when a fire is burning up a mountain. Once it starts burning up the mountain, everything on top of the mountain is going to go, okay? The, the problem is, is that we don't realize is that in giant, we've seen some big forest fires on TV recently. A giant forest fire is started by what? One small little flame, or in this case, the power company and an electric line, which is probably one giant spark, okay? But either way, there's a time and a place where the most giant of things is minimized to this little foot stomp. How many of us, as we sit here today, if we would have just foot stomped that little issue or that problem that our mouth said some day ago or some year ago or something, compared to the forest fire that you're living in now, right? Compared to the fear that you have of the fire of the thing that you've started, if you would have just, you know what, I didn't need to say that. By the way, I have a minor in sociology, so I'm really good at listening to things. A lot of times people don't really, I'm paying attention to everything, including body language. I'm studied in that stuff, and it's very interesting sometimes that you'll say more by your struggle to move. That's why I like to actually look and engage with you, because I get a lot of feedback from that. And sometimes I realize I say things, and it makes people literally cringe. You can, your body will literally react to it. And I need to stomp it out. Because if it's not of God, it could be of me, right? I'm fighting something because it seems so small. But how significant is a forest fire if it's coming towards your house? It came towards our house one time, and you know what we did? We grabbed one bucket of pictures. Because in the end, your entire household and your entirety of your life, when you have five minutes to rally, you get the kids for the first three minutes, right? You set your wild horses, dogs, cats, and everything else free if you can't get them in the car. And in that last minute where you have something to grab, you know what you're going to grab? 
Only the stuff that's really, really important because the fire doesn't care what it burns up and what it devours and what it destroys. It will incinerate to the very nth degree everything you've ever loved and cherished. Heirlooms, furniture, valuables, whatever, they will all be consumed. And James is saying, you and I do that when we speak words. Which makes me really mad because now I just found out that a nursery rhyme that I've been saying since childhood is a bold-faced lie. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, ah, they'll never harm me. (laughs) Really? Okay, I stand here with six broken wrists, two broken arms, and a broken nose, and I can't really even remember any of them other than to say that some of them were fun. Some of them were not fun, but I really don't think about my broken bones anymore. But I also stand here as a 57-year-old man, and I could write on paper the two or three times that people have said things about me that I still hear in my head today. Right? You got them too. You got those, you got those bones creeping around your closet where a coach or a loved one or a church member or somebody professed some kind of lie over you in words, and you thought, not only is that not true, but that's malice. That's harmful against me. And yet they still profess them and you still don't know how to process them today. And James is saying, stop that out. That is not who we are. We don't have the ability to judge one another with our words. And when we do, we usurp the authority of God because only God can forgive and only God can judge. We all stand guilty. We all stand accountable. And we stand shoulder to shoulder in that, regardless of what we said or why we said it. And if you have someone today that your relationship is on fire or broken because of something that you said that I'm talking to you for this next 30 seconds, go and put that fire out today. Because words can destroy human beings. And lies that have been spoken to human beings have people thinking they're not worthy to come to church because of things they've done. Um, church, go back and look at the, some of the patriarchs of the Bible. Uh, rock-chucking Moses and, and neck-snapping Moses, uh, cheating David, right? I mean, don't make me make a list of the Bible people in the Bible uh, God's still allowed to use. I mean, we've done some pretty horrific things, but we've probably said some stuff that's more horrific that's still hurting people today. May our faith never be like it because Proverbs 18, 21 says the tongue has the power of life and death. That is a big rudder. And that is steering this ship that you call your body astray. Pastor Jeff, why can't we put that in check? Because now that we know what you're saying, why can't we put it in check? Well, you got to go back to the Bible. And the Bible says, above all things, know this, that the heart is evil wicked. Do you teach your two-year-old how to be terrible? Why do we call it terrible too? Is they just figured it out? Like we are born, the DNA of our body says mine. And we process that from a very young age. What we have to teach people is how to be good, how to be kind, how to show grace, right? You don't have to show somebody how to take the best toy and whack the kid on the head who touches your toy. That comes natural. And you know what? Some of you have grown up and you've never had that correction. You've never had that reproof. And now you're grown-ups that do the same thing. You have the ability to stomp that forest fire out. You have the ability to stomp something before it becomes a lifetime, a, a legacy of pain for someone. You can go back and now speak life into someone who's broken. 
I'm surprised sometimes when I'm just praying with someone and the words that God will allow me to pray with someone will literally bring life back into someone who's struggling. And you know, I'm telling you this, just to come to church this morning, there's people that are struggling where the word of God is going to breathe life into you this morning. Because he loves you and he cares about you and the spirit of God knows what you need to hear. And I pray specifically for you this morning that you would hear the encouragement that you need to hear and God's word would breathe life back into you. What does it destroy again? Everything. A fire destroys everything. So with that in mind, church, what's more painful? The previous hurts? We kind of established this. The previous broken bones? Nope, forgotten. What's more important is the words that we speak. And this morning, if you want to put out a massive fire, pray about it. And when the Spirit of God reveals it's you that spoke that, make peace with that, process it. And as soon as you get in your car, make that phone call. Schedule that lunch meeting, right? If they're close enough, go ahead and take the drive today. Drive to them. Knock on the door. Breathe. Pray it in. And process what you're about to do and say, you know what? Because this is what God calls me to do. Not Regardless of the results, give the results up to God in advance. Regardless of how they open the door or what they even respond to you, you do it because it's the right thing to do and because God calls you. That's the black and white of James speaking. If it's the right thing to do to put out that fire, then you open the door and you simply say, do you have a minute? I would like to talk to you. I would like to be able to apologize for something I said, something that God has put heavy on my heart this morning, and just if you could just give me five minutes to share seven and eight. Why? Because the tongue is a fire. It's the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members at which it defiles the entire body, and it sets fire to the course of our life, and it sets fire. It's the set, been set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird or reptile and creature of the sea has been tamed, yet that has been tamed but, but that by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So I made a list of the things that I think are most incredible. Lions, okay? I'm not going in there with Siegfried Roy or anybody. I don't care how tame a lion is, but people have tamed lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my, right? You knew that was coming, John. But even more than that, there's a group of people that have tamed elephants, and they get elephants from the time they're babies, and an individual will work with that elephant its entire life. And with nothing but just simply words and a stick, that elephant will serve that individual. Moving giant trees, clearing forests. Pretty impressive. But how about this final one? Killer whales. Mm, something in that title says jumping in the water with a killer whale has never been the smartest choice for a career path. Killer, by default, means it is a pretty ominous whale. But yet... Go to SeaWorld, watch it, whether you think it's humane or inhumane, different conversation, but somehow people have figured it out. James is saying, in consideration of all that, the tongue, the simplest little thing, impossible. Impossible by your strength, impossible by my strength, only made possible by the Spirit of God himself, which is why he said in the beginning to those people who were speaking, if you're going to do something like this, you better make sure that you're evoking the Spirit of God in that situation. Otherwise, it will set you aflame. As small as it is, it directs your path. It guides you and makes you kind of have this uh, robotic response to it. And he's saying, because the heart is wicked, the tongue is merely reflecting what's in the heart. 
Kind of like the moon, right? We're like, oh, look at how shiny the moon is. The moon's not shiny. There's nothing about the moon that's shiny or reflective. The moon simply reflects the sun, right? But we all misinterpret that. And he's saying, hey, look, if you actually knew how powerful your heart was, Jeremiah 17, once again, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Oh, pastor, we're not that bad, really? Come on, we're human beings. Are we really that bad? Yes, guys, we are really that bad. Look to the beginning of Genesis and find the first account of Cain and Abel. No TV, no magazines, no politics, no major infections, no baseball or sports, just human beings already so at each other that the results of jealousy is death. Like, guys, this is who we are. That's why James is writing this letter. Remember, this is the first church. What he's saying is first church, you're going to birth many other churches. There's a lot of different DNA that's going to start right here, and it's going to spread out to all the other churches. So we've got to address these primary issues before we ever kind of realize what people are going to see. If you minimize favoritism and people come in and see that, they're going to be like, you're no different than the world, right? And now he's saying, hey, look, you standing up front, me included, he includes himself. If we're going to stand up there, we have to self-examine ourselves. Before we give it to you, we have to self-examine ourselves in line, saying, are we bridling our own tongue in our own life? Are we allowing the word of God to speak to me before I speak to you? Why? Because it humbles you, man. You talk about who's the alpha and the omega. I like this kind of the word pictures on the left. Who is the alpha and the omega in the church? Jesus we don't need any more alphas. We don't need any more. He's all of them. He, he encompasses the entire alphabet. What we need is people that are willing to show up and say, Lord, what I got, it's all yours. What, you, what you've given me, it's all yours. If you need someone to serve, I'm available today, whatever task it is. The tongue, the tongue is simply revealing. That's all the tongue is doing. I made a note of this. Next time you see a rattlesnake, before you get upset at it, realize this. A rattlesnake at least gives warning before it does what? We don't do that. A lot of times you and I, we give no warning. Now, I'm a simple pastor, so for me, I'm always open. You can always call, you can always text, and for any of you who have ever tried, know that I'm probably going to answer the phone first ring if I can. If not, I'm going to send you back that I'm on the phone with someone. What's interesting is even when there's no guard up, sometimes people will strike. People strike in the weirdest ways, and sometimes they think they're striking in order to help you out. But you know what? Is there really any strike that a rattlesnake can give you that's beneficial? It's okay, church. Psalm 27 is what I give you this morning. It's okay for you to have something that's really bubbling up and you want to talk about it. But if it's bubbling up, it's either life or it's death that you're about to speak to someone. And because if you're not sure, I give you Psalm 27, wait. That's just as much an answer as yes or no or go or slow. Sometimes the answer is just wait. Would you just pray about it and try to make peace with it? Because if you speak it to me in such a way that it's death, if you speak to me, oh, let's take a couple of weeks ago. We did communion for the first time. We're going to do communion at the beginning of every month. It was a little chaotic in the back. I get it. People are excited. We haven't done communion in a while. We're excited to do communion again. But the way that you speak that to me, after a service where I'm trying to wait for people that are being drawn to the Lord for either baptism or prayer or salvation, and then you come up to me and say, hey, you really need to do something about this. 
hey, in case you were wondering, hey, whatever. I just want you to know the door's so wide open for that conversation that it's hard sometimes to process that. Like it takes me completely out of the game. And I go from being the spiritual shepherd who's like, who in the flock needs? Who am I going to pray with? Where, where are we going with this, Lord? To the administrator that goes, okay, I need to find Robin. I got to get Jeannie. I got to get the staff. We got to get people. Whatever you say to someone is going to evoke some kind of response. And if you're not sure what it is, wait and stand down. Why? Because we're made in the likeness of God. And if you're made in the likeness of God, then we should resemble who he is, which means we've been set apart. You, I, me, believers, we're set apart. We're not supposed to look and act like everyone else. We're not supposed to even speak like everyone else. This is not a job where you can walk up and say, hey, you're out of copier. Your copier is out of paper. Even something as simple as you're out of cups or you're out of whatever to me. When you say that to me, like, I could, ju- I could be talking to someone. Matter of fact, this morning, I was talking to three or four different people. Rich, I would think it was in the middle of a conversation with you. Two, and someone else would just come right up to me and start speaking kind of over that conversation. And I got to pull from one and go to the other. And I have to realize sometimes I'm leaving someone hanging. And then I find out what the other person was wanting. And I'm like, man, I was just in the middle of it right here with that person. Right? It's not that we do it sometimes intentionally. Sometimes we do. But we just, we want what we want. We need what we need. And we are a right now society. And James is saying, okay, what I want you to do is think about this. Are you speaking life? Are you speaking death? Have you been called to speak? Because if you've been called to speak and your walk and your call are not matching up, you're cannibalizing the very words that you're speaking. And not only are you in stricter judgment, but you're going to be this congregation that could be led to the foot of the cross could be led astray. Because what they see in you is not the likeness of God. I'm in communion with God, by the way. I'm someone who likes to pray without ceasing. So I'll pray in the most awkward, uneventful places on the planet Earth because I believe every situation God has ordained. Do you believe that, that God has ordained every situation? Because if you believe that and you're thinking that way, then you're going to realize something. Anything that's unwholesome that comes out of your mouth is unexcusable. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I'm someone who wants to listen. I'm someone who wants to learn. I'm going to listen to what you say. If you haven't thought about the words that you're about to say to me, can I simply just say from one brother to another brother, please reconsider it until you have. Because you may inadvertently say something to me that you don't mean to say, but I hear and it's going to affect me. Matter of fact, I'm such a zealous shepherd, and I just publicly confess it early on. I'm such a zealous shepherd that I have some people that I call that I'm to the point now where I feel like I should stop calling them. I've called and emailed and texted so much over the last five years, they probably think, what's wrong with Pastor Jeff? Is there no one else to call? And that's not the case. There's lots of people to call. There's 305 people on the list as of this week. I simply call the ones that God puts on my heart. And when I call you, or if I email you, or if I text you, you can tell anyone who ever gets one of those, I would appreciate a small response because God's putting you on my heart, and I'm trying to honor something. I'm trying to make sure that nothing unwholesome has come out of my heart, but maybe something has. Maybe there's something that we need discussed. Don't ever be afraid of discussing with me and saying, you know what, Pastor Jeff, I heard this. I heard you say this. What does that mean? Would you mind clarifying that? Because if we let something come between us that's unwholesome, either one of us, then the words that we speak from that point on, we're either going to build up 
or we're going to tear down. And there's people out there that have been torn down by the church. There's people out there that need the love of Christ, and they've been torn down by believers who would simply say, with their shopping cart running your foot over, do you know you're responsible for the blood of Jesus Christ? Think of that. That's such an ominous thing to say. I mean, trust me, it's going to be worse if you're standing in front of the beam of seat of Christ and it's actually coming down to accountability. At some point, you will be guilty of that. But you're never going to be guilty of that not knowing. And there's a way and a time and a place and a way to share that with someone that's loving and encouraging and, and a blessing. And it just gives someone a chance to process something. It's the most important decision a human being will make. There's no greater decision that you will make in your life, but what are you going to do with the shed blood of Christ? Amen? I mean, it's his death, burial, and resurrection is the totality of what we preach and what we believe. But if we just ram it in someone's face or just bash them over the head with it, did, did Jesus ever ambush anybody like that? He never did. That's why he ate with the sinners. That's why he spent time with those people, because it was important to him. God... The God who saved you from death can save you from ensnaring yourself with your tongue. If you believe that, that God saved you from your death for eternity, then you need to believe that he can save you from ensnaring yourself uh, by your own volition, with your own tongue. All right, let's finish up with 11 and 12. Wow, okay. I never said I was a quick preacher, and I just warn you that. I'm, I love the word of God, and I try to do due diligence, but I, it's sometimes not easy to do quick. 11 and 12. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Now, my wife is a fabulous visual learner, and I hope some of you realize something, that James is really doing a wonderful job of presenting God's truth one way, one time, and then turning to the other side of the people saying, okay, but how about you? Do, do you like pictures better? Let me give you something. Whatever helps you identify and clarify. Why? Because I want to make something clear. When I'm done presenting my brother to you, you need to understand who he is and what he's done, because it is the most important decision that you will make. So let me just start with what you know. They're an agrarian society. They're spending a lot of time cleaning and doing different things. How about this? Have you ever seen fresh water come from a salt water stream or salt? Does fresh water ever produce bitter water? Okay, go to Big Bear. Um, I think Arrowhead comes from Big Bear. The, that's actually the mountain spring water that comes from there. Go to that spring and taste of that. Now, some people are a little cautious about drinking water. Sometimes when I'm in the high, high Sierras, you know, it's okay to drink water, but there's always stuff in it or whatever. But one thing about being in Big Bear, I think, Rich, you have a, you've been out there. Anyone who's ever been to Big Bear, this, if you, if you find yourself drinking out of the sink, I do. I lived in Big Bear for a year. You can drink out of the sink in Big Bear, and you know what? It, the water's cold, delicious, and tastes wonderful. It's like free arrowhead from your thing, right? Because that's what they're getting. <laughs> have any of you drank from your sink in Costa Mesa lately? <laughs> it might be water, and it might serve a purpose, but it's just there's something about delicious water. That's why I think people pay for Voss or these crazy waters is because they want something that has this ethereal, clean, fresh experience. And yet, if you were dying somewhere in the desert and you came across a stagnant pond of water, how quickly would you be figuring out a way to drink something that you know normally you would just pass up? How important is water when you have none? Super important. And he's saying, hey, look, it's really simple here. If the water that comes from that individual that your body so desperately needs, if it makes them sick, it's not fresh. 
Once again, you're saying you have this faith. You're saying you believe this, but the reality of the people that are around you when they're fed by you and they experience you, they're not experiencing a freshness that I do when I go to Big Bear. One of my favorite things about being up there is just being able to have that water. You're saying it, but the reality is, can a fig tree produce olives? Now, this made me mad because when James wrote this 2,000 years ago, no, the answer was no. But you know what an orange tree can produce? Lemons. My neighbor hybrided his tree. He's like one of those kind of people. So he grafted in to his orange tree lemons, and his tree is oranges and lemons. Because with grafting today, you probably can. So unfortunately, this beautiful Bible passage, which made perfect sense 2,000 years ago, I don't know, maybe you can graft in something with an olive tree and make it grow figs. I don't know. But obviously, 2,000 years ago, the answer was cut and dry, no. We go to a fig tree for figs. Then when we're done eating figs, when we need something for our salad or for something else, we go to the olive tree. It's pretty distinct what comes off the olive tree. Likewise, people go with you. If you find there's people in your life that you say you speak life and you speak, but they go to other people when they need life, you may not be that source that you think you are because they're going to the place that they get the source what what they need. By the way, there's some people in the church that are amazing in fresh water. We had a, a, a worker in our children's ministry last week who was providing care for one of our most sacred little children who had one of those experiences that a little baby child has where life doesn't go well and everything that they've eaten is no longer going to stay part of what they've been holding on to. And that care worker across the street wore that like a badge of honor. And then that little dude continued to struggle and that care worker continued to love. And then that mother arrived and she got the care that she needed when the worker said, we got it, we'll cover everything go back and relax. We want you to hear that service. And then those workers dug in, cleaned up, changed clothes, and continued to serve God. Church, let me tell you something. That's when it gets good. That's when, that's when this guy gets fired up. That's when I want to run around and start high-fiving people, right? It's not, what, it's, not what, it's not about the proclaimer. It's about what's proclaimed, right? What's proclaimed by someone who does that kind of work, that does that kind of service is, you matter, the word of God matters. And who we can share that with and however we can show that, it matters. And when your life gets ugly and when your life gets a little messy, it's okay. Be messy here. We're going to process that with you. But we're going to send you right back in there because you have work to do. And fresh water can only come from a fresh spring. One final warning. I'm always good about final warnings. So a nice encouraging verse that starts off with you brood of vipers. My wife's like, when are you going to start preaching encouragement words? I'm like, the word of God is encouraging. Sometimes it's black and white. Sometimes it tastes good. Sometimes it, it's rough, but it's good for you. So whew, this is a good one. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of good stored in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in him. Cut and dry, Right? I tell you, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word you have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes getting hit, hit in the head with a two-by-four is a little painful. And God's word can be like that a little bit at times. But you know what, church? We need that. 
We need it because we're, we're kind of dumbfounded in the world. We've, we're hearing all this, you know, appeasing stuff from the world around us. All this, you're good and it's all good and all roads lead to God. You know what? All roads eventually lead to God, but not in the same results. So that's a half-truth. And you know who's the father of half-truths? Satan, not Jesus, right? His whole point is if I can deceive you a little, if I can just put a little bit of sin in there, if I can get you to just show a little bit of favoritism and think it's no big deal, I win. I win the whole thing. Good things come from good people stored from what's good inside of them. Bad things come from bad people stored from what's bad inside of them. It is that cut and dry. We have made faith way too complex. We've made Christianity so convenient and comfortable that if you don't like this, there's 40,000, me and Brandon were talking about, there's like 30,000, 40,000 denominations. You can find someone else to say what you want to hear. In the end, they will have their ears tickled. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and I heard that, I was like, that was, my brothers used to flick my ears and all kind of weird. What is it? In the end, they'll have their ears tickled. That's what it means. You, if you want to hear something today, you can turn on your radio, turn on your TV, or drive around. You will find someone that says what you want to hear. Church, I'm, I, will, I hope I, I pray in front of God the Almighty that I never say anything that tickles your ears. I have no interest in tickling your ears. I'd rather smack you on the back when you're choking and get that thing that you're choking on out of you so that you can breathe again because the truth about God's word is it matters. I Remember I showed you the picture? They're swirling around us. They're dying. They're drowning around us and we're all living our lives and we're all going through the motions and the last time we invited our neighbor over to eat a meal or the last time we invited someone to church was 20 years ago when that's what they did. Well, I'm here to tell you next week you need to invite someone to church. Because it's just as viable today as it was then. Even today, all the statistics say this. You can mail, you can mass mail, you can email, you can advertise, you can put signage. But still, the number one way to get someone to church is through a personal relationship, a personal invite. What's good is good. It's not going to change. And we need to realize something. Fruit. Fruits. Is it fruits of the Spirit? or fruit of the Spirit? Singular. Correct. Eh? Fruits? No. It is a singular act of a believer to represent love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. From these things flow goodness. Right? Prior to the fruit of the Spirit are the weeds of the Spirit. And I'm going to encourage you and your life groups to go study the reverse, the antithesis of what we're supposed to be showing. If we show the fruit of the Spirit, if we live out the fruit of the Spirit, it will draw people to want to have that conversation with you about who God is and Jesus and what's going on in your life and how is it that you're actually having victory over this. If we do the works of the Spirit, remember I talked about works last week and you're like, okay, it's not the ethereal work. It's not the benevolent work. It's not the altruistic works. Those are all things that you do from morality. It's the works of God. Praying, studying, tithing, serving. Those are the works that we do. Those are the works that you need to be accountable for. Right? We need the truth of God to know what we're supposed to do. Then once we have it, it's on you, it's on me to self-examine and say, am I doing that this week? 
I can start tomorrow or I can start today, but either way, I got to examine myself and say, am I doing it? Am I, what's in control of my tongue? If it's unbridled, it's going to take a lot of control and I still will never ever get it, right? And I need that bridle in my mouth to maintain control of the whole body. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up here. And I'm going to pray with you this morning that regardless of what you came in here with, this is what I want you to leave with. I need Jesus, you need Jesus, they need Jesus. As Martin Luther once said, what they need is Jesus alone. What they need is the Bible alone. What they need is faith alone. We don't, we don't need all the other additives. We don't need 700 commodities to go along with it. We just need the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us God. And that's why I tell you this morning, if you're hearing this this morning and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not sufficient enough to motivate you to bridle your tongue, then James is saying we got a serious problem. And next week he's not going to let up. Next week there's going to be more truths from him to this first church because we need the truth. And even though it doesn't taste good, church, it's working. It's working in us to remove the things that would impede us from sharing the truth with the lost world. So let me pray, and if you have something that you want to pray with this morning, I will be up here. I'm sure Tom or someone will be in the back. If you need more prayer, we've got plenty of elders that can come and pray, but if God's saying something for you to move on, would you move this morning? If God's showing you something that you hadn't heard or thought about in a while, would you respond to that in the appropriate way? Or if you're just here this morning and you're just grateful to be a believer, would you feel the shake of the Holy Spirit to saying, it's good to be a, a believer in good standings, but now who can you go share that with? Who, who's waiting in your oikos? Who's waiting in your neighborhood? Who's waiting at your job? Who's waiting for you to come share the joy and the love that you know and have embraced and experienced so well? Who can you share that with today or tomorrow? Father God, I thank you for the opportunity once again to stand in front of you and invoke the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way. Jesus Christ is the truth. Jesus Christ is the life. And there is no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ, your Son. Father, the words that have been spoken have been so empty, generations of empty words out there floating around. And I pray, Father, today that you would let your children hear once again the cut and dry, simple truths from James. You've made it too complex. You've made it so impossible to entry that nobody can come to faith nobody's worthy that's that's not the way you intended everyone's worthy everyone needs to just inclinate like the prodigal son just get out of the mud and the mire and move towards the father he's waiting matter of fact when he sees you he will come to you and today could be the day that you come across that finish line today could be the day that you open the door to the one standing and knocking asking to come in Father, motivate your church. Wake them up. Do whatever you deem appropriate for the sake of the kingdom of God, Father, that we would not willingly sit on the island and watch a lost, broken, hopeless world drown without the hope that is your son, Jesus Christ. May everything we continue to say and do in this building bring honor and glory to and through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Jesus Till every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Shine through the shadows.
thank you so much for being here today. If you need prayer, I'm going to be here afterwards, always staying after. If there's something we can pray about, make sure you fill out a connection card. If you have a connection card, a tithe, anything like that, you can leave them in the white boxes on the back wall on the way out. If not, church, we love you. We hope to see you next week as the word of God will continue to be spoken here. God bless you. We'll see you next week.